I hope I'm allowed to do that. The trouble with being short is that you often have the microphone above your head, which is a really interesting way to try and stand and speak. Well, thank you so much. I'd actually much rather talk about that song that we just sang. But when your pastor wrote to me, he asked me to speak about singleness. I have to say, when I, when I got his email, I thought, oh, you are joking. <laughs> um, I am single. Uh, not particularly by choice, although my choices have led to me continuing to be single. I left Australia when I was 21, fully expecting that somewhere when I was overseas, I would meet a man who I could share my life with. But here I am, more than 40 years later. I still haven't taken a vow of celibacy, but I remain unmarried. Early in my time overseas, I was working in Pakistan. I learned that being single in your late 20s and early 30s, I was a cultural oddity. What this required for the girls in the college where I worked is to find a story that would help them fit me into the way life happened there. And so that I discovered that the story went like this. My parents were embarrassed because they weren't able to marry me. They couldn't find me a husband. And so to save them from the shame, they'd sent me to work overseas. <laughs> now, it pays to have a good sense of humour as a single, I think in most cultures. Within the last month, I've spent time with a friend in North Africa. She's a woman who follows Jesus out of Islam. One of the things that we were talking about as we had dinner together this night was how hard it was to keep being single. She faces pressures that I, as a single from the West, don't face. Her parents, who are not followers of Jesus, want her to get married. Culturally, she should get married. But as a follower of Jesus and a woman there, her choices for marriage are often much less. There's the pressure from her own desires to be married. There's the pressure from different parts of the church and indeed from the missionaries who are there who say, as a single woman, you shouldn't be leading a church because you don't have covering. And there's the sheer aloneness. That thing of having to do life day after day on your own. And I understand. I feel that. So in this series on relationships that you're doing as a church, I'm glad that your pastors and leaders have not forgotten singles just because they're not in a relationship. It seems to me that often the church does not know what to do with those of us who are single. Where do singles fit when they're no longer of an age for the youth group? Because most people leaving the youth group are entering into the marriage relationship. I left Australia, I was still part of the youth group. Each time I go, went back, at least initially, I still fitted generally into that age. But now I don't. In fact, for many years as I've gone back, I don't fit there. So where do I fit? 
I never got into the young marrieds group, never became part of mums and toddlers. Probably now I can fit in the seniors group given the colour of my hair. As I was preparing for this morning, I was looking around to see what statistics there are about singles in the church in the UK. You'll know from my accent that I'm not from here. I discovered a site called the Single Friendly Church, and it had done a survey on singles in the church in the UK in 2014. So the statistics might be slightly changed, but I think they're probably generally okay. There are a number of reports and quite a bit of data and I'd encourage you as a church to have a look at it. But some of the statistics were really challenging. While there's a growing number of singles in the UK population, over 60% of attendees at church are married. In the UK, 47% of the population is married and 40% are single, but singles make up just 32% of the church community. Drift away from the church increases between the ages of 25 and 39, and the greatest drift at that age is singles. 13% of marrieds between the ages of 25 and 39 attend church in the UK. Just 5% of singles in that age bracket attend church even once per month. 45% of church of singles, according to this uh, data, who do attend church said they felt devalued. They felt like they were treated as second class. You see, church could, can look and feel like a church of marrieds for marrieds. Respondents in this survey spoke about the focus in church so often being on being family friendly with most resources invested in children, in families' ministries, and in ministries to those who are ageing. Now, let me say, I'm not bitter, and in fact, I value marriage. I value the family. And they're spoken of extensively in Scripture. Family and marriage provide images and models and pictures for the way that the church is spoken of in its relationship with Christ. I personally appreciate those couples and families who've made me part of their lives. They've included me, cared for me, nurtured me. This morning I'm not trying to make a comparison between marrieds and singles. Please hear me that. I've been asked to speak about singles, so I have to give you the statistics and I hope we can investigate in Scripture some of the things that will help us as singles, help us as a church to understand that being single is not second best. I want to explore just two things this morning to help us think about this idea that being single is not second best. I want us to look at some of the stories and teachings in Scripture to help us see where, that, where singles fit as far as Scripture is concerned. And secondly, I want to offer some reflections on belonging for singles in the church. Now, let me say, if you're married, this is not a message for singles. This is a message for the church. And there will be some things for singles, but there will be some things I trust for all of us. 
So if being single is not second best, does the Bible have anything to say about singleness? Well, I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is that the Bible doesn't speak to long-term singleness as we know it in, our, in this generation, in our age, in our culture. The context for the Old Testament was very different. It was a tribal culture. The wife was chosen by the family. The woman had very little voice. You might recall, for example, Abraham sending his servant to find the wife for Isaac. First thing Isaac knew about it was the camels coming over the horizon. And when asked what they were, he said, they said, that's your wife. The woman had no, no say in what, it, what happened. Maintaining the kinship networks through marriage was very important. So how we understand and, th- and see singleness in our community is not something that, was, that the Old Testament speaks to in the way that I might see it. We need to think about what Scripture says a little differently. In the New Testament, marriage was still the norm because it was written in a Jewish culture, although also with a Greco-Roman background to that, where the belief system was framed by interpretations of the creation accounts in Genesis. There is one group of singles that are spoken about extensively through Scripture, and I'm sure you all know, it's the widows. There are many laws, there are many stories, there are many accounts of God's care and concern for those who are single and vulnerable in that singleness. But singles do feature in the Bible, so let's just make a quick run through some of the names that we might think about. I'm going to start with one you may not know about, Jeremiah. Did you know that Jeremiah was told by God you will not marry and you will not have children? Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 2. Because God had a purpose for Jeremiah that required Jeremiah to live out his life as a testimony to the brokenness of the relationship between God and his people. I wouldn't have liked Jeremiah's job, I can tell you that. And being single would have been a lonely and a painful place to be. Then we might think about Naomi and Ruth. Remember, Naomi returns to her people And she says these these words, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me bitterness. And why? Because as a woman who no longer had either a husband or sons, she lived very vulnerably. And yet what do we find? God comes in and provides in a very strange way in one sense because he provides a husband for Ruth and through Ruth, Naomi's husband's name continues. We might think about Anna, the prophetess who enjoyed just seven years of marriage before she was single again and dedicated the rest of her life to worship in the temple, blessed by God with being able to hold the Son of God, the baby Jesus in her arms and speak a blessing and proclaim his life to others. What about Mary, Martha and Lazarus? These sisters and brothers who from the biblical stories we might understand as being single. Mary was um, affirmed and um, for taking that posture of being a disciple at the feet of Jesus. As a household, they welcomed Jesus 
and his disciples, providing hospitality and space for them often. You can go to Acts 21 and read of the four single daughters of Philip the Evangelist who are part of the story of the early church because of their work of prophecy. And then, of course, we have Jesus and Paul who were both single and they made a choice to live counterculturally and to remain single for the sake of the work entrusted to them by God the Father. Well, let's just look at a couple of things in terms of specific teaching. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus offers two words on singleness. He actually starts with a word for those who are married. And he suggests that um, those who become... He starts with a word for those who become single again, sorry, through divorce, teaching teaching that the disciples actually found really difficult. And so what they said to him, well, is if if that's the case, then we should all stay single. Um, But Jesus said something different. There's a better way to be able to speak to that reality. And this is what Jesus says. He says two things. He said, singleness is given by God. What he says in verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 19 is, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it is given. Now that can feel a bit of a strange word, can't it? Because I haven't chosen to be single. Not my choice. And at times accepting it as a gift is a long way from what I feel. However, here's the thing that we all, singles and marrieds, need to take on. God gifts singleness. Churches, church, singles are not half people waiting to get married so they can be complete. God gifts singleness. Singles, hard as it might be, accept what God has gifted to you. Embrace your singleness as something that is gifted and entrusted to you by God. Church, embrace singles as those who are living fully, fully who they are. Jesus goes on to say that there are many reasons that people are single. Sometimes it's by choice. Sometimes by circumstances. Sometimes it's against their wishes and desires, and sometimes it's through loss. In verse 12 of Matthew 19, he says, For there are eunuchs who are born that way, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who have choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should do so. So singleness comes in many different ways. And if we look at Paul's teaching, perhaps we could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul also affirms singleness. But he starts by affirming marriage, acknowledging the challenges and joys that are part of married life. But to singles, he says two important things. He says singles have a particular experience of freedom to be all that they can for the kingdom of God. Now, that's not saying marrieds don't pursue being all that they can, but it says that singles don't face the additional responsibilities that come in the sharing of married life. 
Now, I know that some of you who are single might say, well, I'll give up that freedom. I'll, I'll take the married life part, thanks. But I want to encourage us again to embrace what God's entrusted to each of us and to use that freedom as singles, as Paul suggests, for the sake of the kingdom of God. The second thing Paul says is that being single is not something to be ashamed of. And I want to say this again and again, because it's often the feeling that we're left with as singles. What Paul says is that singles are a valued part of the community of God's people who have opportunities that are different from those who are married. In verse 7, he actually speaks of singleness as a gift. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So we as a church need to recognise that both singles and marrieds are affirmed by Scripture as being part of the body of Christ, belonging and participating in God's great story. So, if we all, singles and marrieds, belong in the family of God, how then do we journey together to live that unique oneness? Rather than keep listening to me, I want us to watch this short clip where you'll hear some of the things that singles in the church sometimes hear said to them. Thanks very much. Some typical phrases I hear a lot about being single. How is someone like you still single? So um, a catchphrase I hear about being single is TikTok, your biological clock is ticking, so time to get a move on. So there are a few things where you say, what are the catchphrases of singleness? Like, why is a girl like you still single? Wish I knew, but God knows, you know. Or, um, oh, you're too intense. Or maybe you just haven't created enough space. Or maybe everybody's actually gone. You know, there's so many different ways that people deal with it. So, yeah, interesting, interesting perspectives. Catch word or a catch phrase, more than just a line that I've heard quite a bit and said to me is, if you don't find a man now, there'll be none left, or there'll be no good ones left. I think there is a bit of a stigma surrounding singleness, um, just because if you look around, the majority of people seem to be coupled up, so the fact that you're not coupled up, sort of, I don't know, people imply that you're not fulfilling your God-given purpose to go forth and reproduce. Okay, so the stigma surrounding singleness, I think there's this idea that there's something wrong with you or with the world at large, but it's, I don't think it's necessarily a conscious thing that people are saying, you know, you're rubbish because you're single, but it's more like, ooh, that's different, I haven't done that before, I don't quite know how you do that, and I don't know if that means I have to be different towards you. So uh, not a stigma in that you get left out or forgotten or anything like that, but just that kind of, oh, that's a bit weird. That's a little bit weird to be single in your 30s. Is that a choice? Is that because you have some weird religious belief? Is, you know, so I think it's more of a misunderstanding than a stigma. But I guess everybody has different experiences about that. So, yeah. Some of the stigmas surrounding singleness, there's this idea that it's something that needs to be shaken off or um, cast off as if it's like a thorn on the side, you know, something to be despised. 
um, when really it's something that should be valued, something that should be treasured. You know, it's, it's actually um, an, a blessing or honor to walk in that um, freedom as well. Like people forget there's a freedom about it. Like you, you're able to really be more of yourself, um, pursue the things of God uh, without any um, anything setting you back. Not saying that a relationship sets you back, but you're able to actually pursue those things that you won't normally be able to when you're tied down to a relationship. Yeah. Um, I think a stigma surrounding singleness is that you haven't quite made it in life yet. I've had a lot of people have the mentality or have expressed their views to me that if you're single, you just keep having to keep pushing until you get into a relationship because up until then you're just not quite there yet and your value um, isn't emphasised in your singleness, it's emphasised in being in a relationship which I think needs to change. So, how do we journey together to live our unique oneness as the people of God together, whatever our marital status. Well, there's four things that I want to say that are part of my experience and I think as we reflect on scripture, they may help us together understand each other a little better. I want to say this, and remember I'm not comparing... Mar I haven't been married, so I can't tell how hard or easy or wonderful or who you want to murder when you're married. I, I've not been there. I haven't been in that situation. But I would say this to us, singleness is hard. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God says it's not good for humans to be alone. That's why he gave them each other. Being made in God's image means that we're made for community. Some of us as singles find aloneness has seasons of being really difficult. And loneliness itself will sometimes be a struggle. I want to invite you as a church to consider how you can journey together in community as singles live with the challenges of singleness. For many years, my work has meant that I travel a lot. What that does is make staying connected wherever home is in that season difficult. I'm away, I come back. I have all of the things to do to keep that home alive, an empty fridge or a fridge of rotten food, no milk for that cup of tea when you get in, and all the practical things have to be done. I'm not connected to the church because I haven't been there and I have no one who's telling me what has actually happened. My question for you as a church and for all of us is, what are the challenges for singles in your church that you could begin to help them address. Another example of what is hard for singles is celebrations in the church. How can we hold celebrations as a church community that, are, that include singles? We celebrate Mother's Day, Father's Day. We celebrate weddings, the dedication of children, engagements, big wedding anniversaries. So how do we intentionally celebrate life with the single members of our community? The second thing I would say is that singleness, singles grapple with grief. 
Sometimes that grief is raw and I'm aware this morning that there are some in this church who are struggling with the rawness of grief through loss. That loss can be as a result of death relationship breakdown. It can be a loss because we could, grief because we confront the reality that I will never be a parent, a mother or a father. That grief may be over unfulfilled expectations. It may be out of a lifetime of aloneness. But grief is real. C.S. Lewis has said something which has felt very real at times for me. No one ever told me grief felt so like fear. I recall a male colleague saying to me once, the trouble with you singles is you always want something. Now I was at that time, and perhaps still am, shocked to have been told this. And it became a deep grief for me as I wrestled with, and to some extent still wrestle with, making sure I don't let people feel I need something. As singles go through their seasons of grief, shaped by each of our different experiences of singleness, as a church community, the invitation to us is to hold out hope for and with them. Grief is not weakness. It's a process in learning to live with the reality of life in a world that celebrates relationships. There's one other area that I want to look at. Singles want to be part of the family. Singles desire intimacy and family. We live in a world that has confused intimacy with sex. And it says if you don't have it, you're not normal. Now it is true that the sexual relationship of a marriage is one form of intimacy. What we find though is that the Bible gives us a much fuller, a much deeper understanding of intimacy. Think of the story of David and Jonathan where God reveals how deep friendship is a place of knowing and being known. In 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 26, David's grieving for Jonathan who's been killed. And this is what he says. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. Theirs was a deep relationship of vulnerability, openness, and sharing. Singles can have intimacy if we reclaim the whole picture of what it is. Someone once described intimacy as, into me, I see. My single friends here, you can embrace the vulnerability of being known and sharing deep friendship that nurtures you and who you are. Yes, there is a part of intimacy we cannot experience, that which is sacred to marriage, but we can be known, and we can experience deep and intimate friendships. There's a single uh, Congolese Australian pastor, a woman who says this to us who are single, there's a whole world out there waiting for our embrace. 
let's get out there and let's get into our world and embrace it. But there's one other thing in this. Because in Mark chapter 3, Jesus says something that I think we as the church are on a journey of needing to relearn. Because in Mark chapter 3, Jesus redefines the meaning of family. His His mother and brothers have come to see him. They're concerned about him. And there with that group of people that that he's with, Jesus looks around them and he says this, here is my mother, my brothers, my sister, sisters. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mothers. When I was talking to this friend in North Africa, I suddenly had, I can only say perhaps a God moment of inspiration Because in that country, blood relationships are everything. But guess what? We have a blood relationship that has overcome, that is more than. In Jesus Christ, we are born into a new family. That doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities within our family. But I want to say to us as a community of God's people, living in a world where the family is under pressure... Christ redefined family and we need to be able to embrace the fullness of that so that those who are single and struggling in our midst might also know family. Well, there's much that we could talk about in terms of singleness. I wouldn't even think that we've scratched the surface. We could talk about contentedness. Psalm 137 gives this wonderful picture of contentedness as being like a weaned child. As singles, can we be with our married friends with a deep sense of contentedness as well? There's about knowing our identity first and foremost in Christ. Many things. But I want to end with these words, which come from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10, but I'm going to read them to you from the message. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations have cut me down to size. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. As we accept the gift that God has given us of singleness or marriage... We're invited into a new family, the family of Christ, where we can love, embrace, and share that depth of relationship which every every heart longs for. Shall we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you that where we're at today is not an accident, but you are with us. For those of us who grieve loss today, Lord, we pray that the depth of friendship and relationship and intimacy of being your people might strengthen 
and surround and give courage and hope. And we pray that as a church family, we will learn more and more to be able to open our arms of embrace, that all within our community might experience something of the love and joy of intimacy and family. Thank you that you're our Father. Amen.